Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. I'm Michelle Elman, and I'm a five-board accredited life coach, and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. This week, we are talking about career. I think there's always something so odd about when we talk about career, where people always pretend like they knew all the answers in the beginning of their life and purposely chose each step of the way to end up with this perfect career. Well, out of every adult I know, that's not the truth. And I can tell you that none, that's right, zero, are in the job they imagined when they left school. Actually, that's the only career advice I remember being given. So I was in a school where, believe it or not, we had Friday night lectures. What's bad enough than being locked in a boarding school on a Friday night at 17 years old? Oh, let's make it more fun. Let's throw in a compulsory lecture, which everyone has to go to because... What's more fun than compulsory fun? So yes, every Friday night when I was 17 and 18 years old, you can find me sitting in a lecture hall at 7pm listening to an hour-long lecture. And because they were compulsory, I went to around 75 of these lectures. And I only actually remember one sentence from one of these 75 lecturers. And I can't even remember what he was actually talking about but I do remember this one sentence. I remembered he had a guitar for some reason, but I can't be sure as to why. But this one sentence was, 90% of you will have a career that doesn't even exist right now, so stop worrying about your future. You are making decisions based on a world that doesn't even exist. I don't remember what I thought at the time, but you know how a sentence remains latent in the back of your mind and then somewhere out of nowhere it reappears later, years later? Well, four years later, I remembered it when I was starting my career as a life coach. Life coaching did not exist in 2010. Then social media became a part of my job and I started calling myself an Instagrammer. Instagram didn't exist in 2010. Now I tend to also use the word influencer. Influencers did not exist in 2010. In fact, the only platform that existed in 2010 was YouTube and Twitter and Tumblr, I think. But I only used YouTube back then. And even then, it was not on my radar to, first of all, create a YouTube account, but also that YouTube could ever become a career for anyone. 
And so now, when I look back at that 17-year-old who was determined she was going to be a psychologist, I can't help but laugh. See, she wanted to be a psychologist since she was 11 years old, so she thought there was nothing to deter her from that goal. What she could not foresee was the thing to deter her from her goal was herself, after she discovered that a lot of the point of views that psychologists take don't align with her own beliefs. But at 17 years old, it did not even enter my world or my periphery that I could possibly no longer want to be a psychologist one day. I thought it was a definite thing and she would be shocked to find out that the thing that would deter me from being a psychologist would actually be my psychology degree. I entered that degree reading my textbook for fun and I left that degree not going to any lectures that weren't compulsory, which meant I didn't go to a single lecture in my first or second year. Somehow I graduated with a 2-1, which is a miracle to say the least. But the main reason I didn't want to be a psychologist was I didn't agree with their way of thinking and it didn't align with my beliefs. And that's why I went down a more holistic route because life coaching techniques are how I was helped. And when I decided to go into therapy, I believe the best way you can help someone is with the tools that helped you because there's no way you can be a good psychologist if going to a psychologist didn't work for you. You need to believe in what you're selling. So that's why when I think back to that age or when I'm advising 17 year olds now, I often say we look at careers the wrong way round. The first thing I was told when I became a life coach was that in order to work in this field you actually need to start working evenings and weekends because people can't have sessions during the day because of their own work. Why did no one tell me that earlier? It might seem obvious but surely a career decision should also come with a warning about the lifestyle that comes with it. We warn kids about the work it takes to become a doctor and the ridiculous hours that a doctor requires but Do we want vets of the same thing? Because vets hours are pretty much exactly the same. Do we talk about which jobs are more flexible than others? Also, do we talk about the practical day-to-day stuff? Like if you want to be a psychologist, are you good at listening? It seems obvious, but I never thought about the day-to-day and no one asked me if I was good at listening. All I thought was I found the content interesting, but I talk too much. I like talking. I have a podcast. The majority of my career is talking. And yet, it didn't come up as a problem until I actually started life coaching. Hence why I ended up becoming a speaker and doing all the social media stuff. And it's a skill that has served me well as an influencer because I always have something to say. And it's a skill that served me well for this podcast, but it would be nice to be told earlier on the really obvious things like being a good psychologist means being a good listener. We need to have more conversation around the skills you already possess and then figuring out a job that is tailored to your strengths. So let's get into the first question. Hopefully we can get into that. Hi, Michelle. I was wondering if you have a life coach perspective on finding your career path. I'm graduating next January and I'm really not sure where to start with the job search. I do realize your first job doesn't have to be a forever one, so it really doesn't have to be perfect. But I honestly don't even know where to begin at this point. Hope to hear about it in the podcast. Lots of love from Ilse. Hey, congratulations on nearly graduating. If I think back to my graduation... I honestly wish more people had spoken about how much of an uncertain time it is to graduate. 
You've been working towards that goal for so long and it can be really disorientating when you've had everything planned up to that step. There's always been a set route from GCSEs to AS levels to A levels or to university. And if you're in another country, you also have different stages, but they are all planned for you. And then suddenly the route ends and you're stuck there, not knowing where to go. I'm not American, but in America they have these commencement speeches. I think that's what it's called. Basically the speeches that are given at graduation. And I remember listening to one a few years ago. I was watching it on YouTube. It wasn't actually my graduation, but I enjoy watching them because I think they're essentially just really good talks and I find it really interesting as a speaker to know whether they use a piece of paper or not. Sounds silly, but I do pay attention to that as a speaker. And one person I remember saying, and I unfortunately I don't actually remember who the person was, said that today is the best day of your life and tomorrow will be the worst day of your life. And as demoralising as that sounds, I heard that and I was like, why did no one tell me this? Because that was the experience I had the moment I graduated. I had always been one of those students that knew exactly what they wanted to do their entire life and then by the time I graduated I knew I didn't want to do any of those things anymore and so was lost for the first time in my life. So I deeply deeply empathise with this phase of your life. You're already ahead of the curve though because you said something better than I could have. Your first job doesn't need to be your forever job. Leaving school or university, it felt like I was making a decision for life. And now, six years out of university, I can tell you how much my job has changed and pivoted over the years. If I look at my friends, so many of them have not only changed jobs, but changed entire industries and more than once. I remember at the time my sister, who was 12 years older and worked in TV production, changed directions entirely and started working in fashion. And because it was a completely different industry, she started from the bottom. And I remember thinking that was my nightmare, to start all over again in your 30s. But we're trained to think that way, and I don't think my sister thinks that way. But at the time, I really did. And if I even look at my own life coach, Michelle Zelli, who I personally think is the best life coach in the UK, but I'm biased, she only started being a life coach when she was 50. Before that, she worked in a corporate marketing job. So it's stories like that that give me a lot of hope and remind me to remove the pressure of thinking you are making the wrong decision or a permanent decision or one that you ever have to stick to. And choosing something different later or changing industries later is not a failure. It's simply a different choice. The next thing to do, and this is actually what I did a year into life coaching when I was absolutely hating it, was I sat down and wrote a list of the parts of the job I liked. So as I mentioned before, speaking is now a part of my job and so is social media, but that didn't happen by accident. It happened in this moment, I sat down and assessed which parts of my job I liked and disliked. I absolutely hated the fact I sat on Skype all day without leaving the house and had no interaction with either colleagues or other people. I hated updating my website, so I hired a website designer. I also realised I do actually really enjoyed the social media part of it and the updating my blog on my website. So I realised the theme behind that was writing. So I found more opportunities where I could write as a life coach. So I wrote a few life coaching articles for Metro and Huffington Post. And before I knew it, I still had the same job, but it had different aspects to it. I now was working with people in person and overall I was more content within my job with the same title and with the same content but with different aspects being highlighted and the aspects that brought me more joy. 
Because I work for myself, I was able to keep the job title but change the amount of time doing each thing and that changed the job for me. And six years on, I'm still a life coach but as I said, I've lost all the elements I hated like sitting on Skype for 12 hours. So when it comes to your job search, you do the same thing. Go back to uni or school and think about which elements did you like. Did you like managing your schedule when it came to your homework? No? Okay, then you need a job with less admin. Do you need absolute silence when you're working? Yes? Okay, then you need a job with less human interaction. And this becomes clear when you actually get your first job. So when you get your first job, you'll be able to figure out which elements you don't like and the elements you do. And that will guide you and that will guide what you look for in your following job. You might be asking, well, okay, but where do I start and where do I find my first job? And the best way to figure out where to start is to write a list of everything you know you don't want to do. It's sometimes so hard to figure out what you do want to do, but everyone knows what they don't want to do. And that's where you start. Get really clear on that. And then when I started looking on job websites, I would actually read the job description. And even if one aspect interested me, I would apply to that. And this won't be helpful if you aren't spiritual, but I also held some trust in the universe that I would end up where I needed to be. And so I applied to jobs really widely And I just accepted that the right job would accept me. If you aren't spiritual, I still recommend applying quite widely. But remember, you can't make a wrong decision. You just need to make a decision. It can be really intimidating when you don't know where to start. But the crucial thing is you start somewhere, anywhere. The skill you need is not the ability to find the right job, but actually the skill is to quit when the job is wrong. And the science supports me on this. Job hopping is given a bad reputation and you're always told that if you job hop too much it looks bad on your CV but the science says that job hopping is actually the path to higher job satisfaction and more money. The economist Henry Zhu said that people who switch jobs more frequently in their careers tend to have higher wages in their prime working years. Job hopping is correlated to higher incomes because they have found better matches and their true calling. And changing roles is much more likely to lead you to higher positions. So best of luck. Remember, this is not your prime working years yet. And you will get through this period. And for me, at least, the rest of adulthood holds a lot more certainty than the phase post-graduation. So good luck. And I promise that adulthood gets better. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations, we are talking about adult material. Every week I dissect dysfunctional conversations that I see on TV and we use it as an opportunity to improve our own communication. So this is a bit of a change of pace, but I did want to talk about this movie, but it comes with a trigger warning because it does involve a conversation about rape. So if you find that triggering, please skip ahead to the next question. Adult Material is a really well-made but sad TV show about a mother who works in the porn industry. And in one scene, her teenage daughter is crying about the fact that the boy she is seeing in school had sex with her while she was still asleep and she woke up to him inside of her. When she tells her mother, her mother then says, did you say no? And then says that sometimes it's confusing for boys after she asks if she had sex with him the night before. Throughout this, of course, I'm shouting at the screen because her mother has also experienced a rape and this is the exact opposite piece of advice you should be giving someone in this situation. And you should instead be validating her feelings and the fact that not only is she upset, but is feeling violated. Later on in the series, though, she actually does go back to her daughter to have a conversation about that first conversation. And she says that she's wrong and that she's sorry and that she should go tell the boy that she's not okay with it. And I think it was actually a really good example of parenting in one aspect. In others, it's not great because she suggests to have this conversation with him if she misses him and wants to get back together with him, which I would never suggest. But on the other hand, there are so few examples, both in real life and on TV, of a parent apologising and actually admitting guilt to her daughter. We have this really archaic idea that if you say you're wrong or you learnt something new and now you're changing your mind, that you're a bad parent because in order to be a good parent, you need to be perfect. But this is so wrong. Even just on a human level and not a parent level, how many times do we feel shame about returning back to a previous conversation and feel like once we've had the conversation once, we can't bring that conversation back up again? But this is a good example that you can bring the conversation back up again. No one needs a perfect parent. But if you can be a parent who can model that it's okay to mess up and that when you mess up, you can apologise and that it's not weak, but actually a strength, that's way more important. And that is the behaviour you would want your child to follow when they become an adult. No one is born with perfect parents and parents aren't given a manual on how to be a parent. So mistakes will happen and being able to admit you don't know everything will model an example for their children that you don't need to be perfect or know the answer to everything in order to be good enough. In general, in situations like this, I always think we are always too apologetic for the boys in that situation and don't put enough focus on how it impacts the girls living with that as one of their first sexual experiences. 
I'd like to think that the conversation of consent is growing and the presence of shows like this or Sex Education is also another good show helps with it because all I know is in my day and I say that like I'm really old but I am 10 years out of school in my day in school I don't actually remember the word consent ever being used in our PHSC lessons if you don't live in England PHSC stands for physical health and sex education or at least I think it does but I'm not 100% sure on that but it's essentially the class which covers all things like why drugs are bad for you and as you get older you learn how to put a condom on a banana and things like that also this show is the first one I have seen that actually shows the porn industry and how it works and validates the fact that sex work is work and if it is accurate it just makes me really sad how the whole system works against them it's really worth a watch and it's currently on channel 4 at the moment and another career change let's get back to career with the next question Hi Michelle, I've recently started a new job and I get the sense that there may be an expectation that I'm available to take calls and respond to emails well after my day is over or even on the weekends. It's a 9 to 5 job and I don't want to be spending my time on further work. Though it hasn't been said explicitly, comments like, oh you didn't return my call last night or I thought I'd get an email reply straight away make it pretty clear that the expectation is there. Is it reasonable to set a boundary that once I'm done for the day, I'm done? How can I go about communicating this in a professional way so I don't upset my new boss? Thanks, Al. Yes, it is perfectly reasonable. And what it actually sounds like is that you have really good work boundaries that your boss doesn't share or possess or doesn't 100% agree with. And that's okay. You don't need to have the same boundaries as your boss. They don't need to understand your boundaries and your boundaries don't need to be the same as each other. How you've handled this is actually perfect already and I just wanted to include it as a great example. Allow them to have their passive-aggressive comments and the next time they say something like, you didn't pick up my call last night, respond with something like, yeah, I don't pick up work calls after hours. Or you can even add something extra like, I think a work-life balance is not only healthy but helps me be more productive during work hours. When they say, oh, I thought I would get an email reply straight away, I would respond with, I find checking my emails too often is disruptive to my workflow and actually getting the work I need to get done. So if you need anything urgently, you can call me within work hours. Something like that. Obviously amend it. Let's say you work in an office, then say you can come up to my desk, whatever works. But this is just to manage expectations. And in both of my responses, notice how I highlight that it enhances my productivity because actually it does. And I'm not just saying it as a setting boundaries thing, but when you're not interrupting your workflow every 10 minutes with emails and constant requests, you can get so much more done. And to be honest, from your message and your tone, it didn't seem like what your boss needed actually needed to be done out of hours. So all I could say is good boundaries and your boss should have better respect for your time out of work. In terms of not upsetting your new boss, you can't manage someone's reaction. And ultimately, you not being at their disposal all hours of the day is going to be inconvenient to them. And they will have feelings about that, but it's got nothing to do with you. In situations like this, people have fear this means that you are more likely to get fired or replaced by someone who is willing to do the extra hours or out of hours. But that's an illusion. If working out of hours is genuinely part of the job requirement, first of all, that should have been stated. But second of all, you need to be financially compensated for that. Yes, some companies want to take advantage of you and maximise how much they can get out of you for the money that they pay you. But that's why your boundaries are good and needed because it's your job to protect you. 
Also, how you currently work is setting you up for life in terms of the fact a lot of people don't have these out-of-hour boundaries and that leads to worse mental health and awful productivity. Also, you have to remember a lot of people work out of hours because their self-esteem is fed by the workplace and they are insecure about the quality of their work. So they overcompensate with the quantity and you don't have that. So basically, the entire answer is, well done you, you're doing it the right way. And I mainly included your voice note for everyone listening to be like, this is how you do it. So I hope this helps you feel reassured because ultimately you are not the norm and that's why people are having an issue with it. But if we all lived in a healthy society, you would be the norm. So don't let the world change you. You keep doing you and I, for one, am inspired. Today's three quick tips are on your CV or resume. Number one, don't list everything. This sounds so counterintuitive, but it's the best piece of advice I was ever given when I was leaving university. When I left university, for example, it's perfectly normal to list all my GCSEs and A-levels alongside the grades. But now that I'm six years in, frankly, no one cares what I did in school. So I removed all the subjects and it now just says eight A stars and one A at GCSE, two A's at AS level and three A's at A level. But it doesn't list the subjects anymore. Basically, as you require more things to add to your CV, you should start considering what you need to remove because the newer thing is more important. And the people with three page CVs because they want every single thing to be included aren't as effective as the one page CV with the most important information. Of course, you want to keep your whole job history on there, but putting too much on there, like the fact that you volunteered somewhere when you were 15 years old, also runs the risk of looking like you are overcompensating. Number two, keep it simple. Make sure you put your contact details up at the top in really clear font and personally I wouldn't just put my email but my phone number two. I personally think with CVs with one page are best but keeping it to a two page maximum. Employers go through CVs quickly so do them a favour and make it obvious what you want them to know and not include superfluous information. Making it really concrete also helps. If you can state how much you expanded the growth in a percentage or a number, that's helpful. Make it really easy for anyone to see how you can concretely help their company. Number three, personalise the email. When you send off a CV, you want the cover letter or the email in which you send it to be customised to the company that you're applying to. To be honest, I even alter the CV itself. So under each job, I have a one sentence bullet point of what I did. And before submitting for a specific role, I will alter that sentence. I will make sure that one sentence applies to the job that I'm applying to. So for example, if I'm applying for a writer, I've had a past job in a hospital. And while that might not seem directly relevant, I can include the fact that I wrote the leaflet for patients in the hospital, highlighting the writing aspect of my job. Personalising the cover letter, the email or the CV is noticeable when everyone else is just copying and pasting. Hi Michelle, my name's Kim. A year ago, I was diagnosed with idiopathic intracranial hypertension. This means that the pressure in my brain is too high, causing daily fatigue, headaches and a load of other symptoms. At the age of 29, I've just graduated after deciding to change my career from a restaurant manager to go into public relations. I'm used to working 60 hours a week, so in uni I took every internship, workshop and networking chance to try and boost my career for the future. Now I'm working part-time as a host in a restaurant. 
My body can't handle working full time at the moment and I feel like this is the right place for me while I learn to manage my illness. But I just don't feel satisfied in my life right now. I don't want to take any new challenges at work because I don't want to end up in hospitality forever. And I feel like starting a new career right now would just be too much pressure. But I feel bored and I know that my career doesn't dictate my value. But how can I feel like I'm doing more with my life while I'm recovering and learning to manage my illness? Thank you for all that you do. And I'm loving the podcast so far. Can't wait for more. Hey, Kim. So first up, I just want to say congratulations on listening to your body and changing your job to something that is within your ability currently. I have a similar condition, hydrocephalus, which creates too much CSF fluid in the brain. And similar to yours, that creates a lot of intracranial pressure. And there have been times in my life when I couldn't work at my usual ability because headaches and migraines knocked me out. And anytime I worked too hard, I would suffer for it later. So that really helped me prioritise my health. And I try to take those lessons into my life, even when I don't have those headaches and migraines, because I shouldn't be pushing my body when it's telling me to slow down. And to be honest, we all shouldn't. So I relate to this. And one of the long term solutions I found was that this is why I will only be able to work a flexible job, because once I'm out, I am out And for me, it wasn't feasible to take sick leave every time. So I need a job where I can work from home if needed or work lying down. I still do that a lot or can cancel at the drop of a hat. So, for example, when I had individual coaching clients, that wasn't possible and that made my life really difficult. I haven't actually spoken about this online and I think sometimes because having to explain this to others feels disempowering, but it's not disempowering. It's actually a strength. And so many people don't listen to their bodies and only listen to their body when it breaks down completely. So at least we both listen to our bodies. The first thing I would ask is, could you see creativity in another area of your life? It doesn't need to come from your job. Either it could be a side project where you will have the freedom to monetize it, or it cannot rely on your income at all. It could just be a hobby and the job in hospitality will allow you for that freedom to explore. Also, as an extra motivation, did you know that higher achievers are much more likely to have a hobby? I'm actually reading Eric Barker's Barking Up the Wrong Tree at the moment, and he states that whilst the average scientist is just as likely to have a hobby as a member of the public, eminent scientists, members of the Royal Society or the National Academy of Sciences are twice as likely to have one, and Nobel Prize winning scientists are three times as likely to have one. Stephen Johnson also found that the same holds true of geniuses of the past, like Charles Darwin and Benjamin Franklin. They all had a lot of hobbies. And this is because facing challenges in a different context allowed them to look at things differently and challenge assumptions and to realise breakthroughs. Getting lots of key ideas crashing together seems to be the key to creativity. Also, being intellectually stimulated is a really high value when it comes to my own career. And that's what I'm hearing from you that you are not getting is the mental stimulation that your previous jobs provided and the challenge that it provided you, especially if you're just coming out of education. So find something that's going to mentally stimulate you but isn't physically strenuous. Could you take an online course that will benefit you in the future when your health is more manageable? Or it could just be reading some PR books or creating a project that isn't huge, but something that could get your creativity and your mind working. 
So for example, do you have a friend who's running a small business? How about offering to do a little PR for them on a freelance basis where it's only dependent on the work you do and in that case it's a win-win for both of you? If you don't feel well enough to do anything for a month or the energy to do anything at all then that's fine because it's not like they have PR anyway and if you can only do a little bit here and there then your friend benefits and you've got your toes wet in the PR pool, it adds to your experience and you also give your brain something to think about when you're stuck in bed with those migraines. This is obviously a random example off the top of my head but I'm using it to draw your attention to the fact that you've entered quite a black and white thinking. It's not all or nothing, you don't have to do absolutely nothing challenging or return to a 60 hour work week. Those aren't your only two options and you can find a middle ground where you are mentally stimulated but on your own schedule and your own terms whilst your hospitality job covers the bills and provides you the financial security. Best of luck and I have every confidence that you'll be able to keep your mind active in this time. Every episode I end it with something I am working on in my own life and the thing I'm working on right now is expanding joy. This is going to sound really sad but joy doesn't come easily to me. I'm happy a lot but not joyful and I probably can only think about two or three moments in my life where I would actually describe the emotion as joy. They are very conscious moments where I've actually had to stop and force myself to enjoy the moment and the first one that comes to mind is my 21st birthday and I genuinely stopped in the middle of the dance floor, looked around and everyone I loved was in one room and this doesn't happen a lot in my life because my family and my friends live in different countries but that one night everyone is in the same room from my godmother to my sister to my best friends from uni to my school friends but even on that day I almost had to force that joy I had to force myself to stop and notice it as I mentioned in a few episodes though I've been going through a bit of a tough mental health period and to be honest for about two months I've just been crying and processing and feeling a lot of my feelings but a weird side effect of this time is I'm finding cracks of joy and these small breaks of joy are moments where I'm not having to force it for example I was editing the last chapter of my new book And I'm talking about how I changed over the last five years and I just naturally felt this pride fill my body in a joyful way. So I just stopped what I was doing and actually took it in and noticed it. I truly believe if I start focusing on this joy more, I'll start noticing it more and that's what I really hope for. But I just wanted to mention it in case you find that you have a difficult relationship with joy as well. And currently I would say I'm getting one of these moments every maybe two weeks and hopefully by focusing on it more, it can be a daily thing because wouldn't it be lovely to have joy in my life every single day for one reason or another. So I've cleared the deck emotionally, I've got rid of all the sadness, I've processed things, I've cried and now I'm making space for joy and that's quite a fun and exciting thing to say and also a nice thing to share so thank you so much for all your questions the podcast couldn't happen without your voice notes so I really appreciate everyone who's taken the time and energy to record a voice note for me I love hearing your voices and so I really appreciate it but if you want more episodes I need more voice notes so if you'd like to be part of a future episode then send me a voice note at inallhonesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk. I'll put the email address down in the description and in the meantime if you want to go pre-order my book The Joy of Being Selfish I would really appreciate that especially because I am manifesting a bestseller so I would love if you could go help me with that. 
Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at scarnotscared. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok at the same username. You can also get my first book, Am I Ugly? Or go watch my TED Talk, Have You Hated Your Body Enough Today? That is on YouTube. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next Wednesday. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.